You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. ongoing monthly and extremely nerdy conversation through the Disney animated canon in chronological order, playing our part in a healthy ecosystem between art, criticism, and fandom, paying attention to the way these films have shaped our imaginations. Hopefully along the way, we enrich the viewing experience and have some fun too. Start churning butter and put on your church shoes, little sister, because we're about to blast off into the 57th film in the canon, 2018's Ralph Breaks the Internet. Michael coined uh, this era of Disney as the Imperial Era, and ee, oh boy, do we get the full Imperial effect in this movie. <laughs> That's Oliver, true. Oliver Jones, writing for the New York Observer, said, quote, In what is a veritable orgy of cross-promotion, every mouse house asset has its moment, from its princesses to its stormtroopers to its Muppets and even sad-eyed Eeyore. While there's something dispiriting and cynical about this conflation of product placement and pop commentary, it does give the film a kitchen sink quality. There's literally something for everyone, end quote. Somehow Oliver didn't even manage to mention Marvel or Pixar in there. <laughs> so uh, anyway, joining me as always to talk about it is Michael Farmer. He and I are like shoes and socks or peanut butter and bacon. One cannot exist without the other. Michael, I probably should have just said we're going to the internet. We're going to the internet! <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to wreck it. Yeah. I don't understand why this movie is not called Ralph Wrecks the Internet. Why is it Ralph Breaks the Internet? That's true. Why isn't it Ralph Wrecks the Internet? Huh. Well, it's, I, I guess because break the Internet is a is a term, right? Oh, is it? I guess. I, I remember when, the, when I strongly encourage our viewers not to Google this, but there was a... Um, there was a magazine cover with Kim Kardashian nude from behind, and it. The, I think the, the headline was break the internet. Mm, I think, yeah, now, now that you say that, it is ringing a bell. That, I, that I break, think that, I think the that expression, that... yeah, I think that expression existed before that magazine cover. I want to believe that this movie is not named after that expression or that uh, magazine cover. Ooh. Yeah, no, I, I do. Hope not. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, remembering uh internet days when well particularly i feel like early twitter days it was you know um twitter couldn't handle the the user load back then um and so if something something really big was happening and everybody was getting on and tweeting about it at the same time twitter would crash and things and then people would say like oh that thing broke the internet or whatever that's little did they realize that it was wreck it ralph's insecurities about his friendship with his young compatriot that (laughs) that actually (laughs) made twitter go down right they really missed their opportunity with twitter they have the the one like three second gag about twitter and it's all these happy birds posting pictures of cats which i mean gosh have these people ever been on twitter (laughs) 
Well, it could have yeah. just having the birds like pecking at each other. It didn't have to be like super violent or anything like that. But like to, to really get the Twitter experience, you got to have at least <laughs> some birds trying to kill the other ones, right? <laughs> That's actually where I thought that gag was going at first. Uh-huh. Um, but then I was but like, it was going to start as the the <laughs> posting the cat pictures and then start pecking at each other. Yeah, but you know, in fairness, I was still on Twitter back in 2018. Like I could handle that back then. So maybe at that time it hadn't reached the 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 levels that it reached when I finally uh, abandoned <laughs> abandoned Twitter. You know, where it did become just the constant pecking at each other. Maybe there was still some glimmer of hope there at that time. This show wouldn't exist without Twitter. You uh, you you posted to Twitter that you were you wanted somebody to do this project with you, and I tweeted back at you. We, yeah. fact, I think that's how we reconnected, right? We hadn't talked in years. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much true. Like so that's the a, only good thing that's ever come from Twitter: the Arab Spring, and also before they were alive. <laughs> and this, yeah, that's right. No, I think I think this is a this is a an interesting thing about this movie is I'm not quite sure what they're what they're trying to attempt as far as like what they're what they're saying about the internet like mm-hmm. um, the uh i read from the new york observer review but there's also a new york times review of course and uh the the new york times review which is written by um uh bilge abiri bilge abiri i'm not sure how you pronounce that name um i think i pronounce most names incorrectly uh, anyway at the end of the, the the very last closing line of the article is somewhere amid the film's ornate imagery and deliriously irreverent humor we might begin to realize that we're watching a terrifying incisive satire about the way about the ways that a life lived online makes monsters of us all and i don't know if that's what this movie's doing like i don't know if it's an incisive satire i definitely don't feel like it's a a love letter to the internet the way the first film was a love letter to um video games yeah i would agree with that you know like so i definitely don't think it's a love letter i don't know if it's an incisive satire maybe what do you think i'm not sure the movie really knows what it's doing um it, it does seem to be three or four movies kind of jammed together so i i think it's it's hard to find a uh co- cohesive attitude toward the internet in the movie because the movie's not very cohesive as a whole wouldn't you say yeah, I mean, yeah. I, like I, if you you would think that if there, one one interesting thing about it, and this is not really a criticism, um, is that there's not really a bad guy in the movie, mm-hmm. um, which I don't have a problem with that. But you would think that if there would be a bad guy, it would be the BuzzTube algorithm. You know, if if anything on the internet is kind of evil, it's the algorithm that determines what you see and when you see it, and, and kind of forces unworthy or even sometimes evil things in front of people. And so they could have done something really interesting with that. But also, aren't we all kind of tired at this point in the Disney corpus of somebody who was your friend turning out to be the big villain in the movie? So I I appreciate them not doing that. Yeah, I I agree. I think you're right. And I think that's where I, I mean, like, I don't. I I agree, I agree with you that like I don't think the movie necessarily has a point to make about the internet itself, um, because I think there's <laughs> the closest it gets is is with that algorithm. Yes, and um, Ralph reads the comments, and uh, they're terrible, of course. And you know, yes comes in and she says, "Oh yeah, uh, first rule of the internet is don't read the comments." I should. I wanted to be like, that. baby, why don't you get rid of the comments? Right. Well, <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's the darkness 
I mean, this the this is where the movie is a bit incoherent because yes is an algorithm. So, like, how much uh, autonomy does she have over the actual website? <laughs> you know, right, like right, I don't right. know. You know, like I mean, it's a, we we ran into some of these problems in in the last one too, where the, like these these are like this isn't exactly how code works, but whatever. You know, like. Um, She's not the programmer. She is a program, you know, I guess. But anyway, I, I what I'm trying to say is... She's you know, not bad. She's just drawn that way. Is that what you would say, John? Oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Nice throwback. Yeah, that's good. Um, <laughs> but no, I like... So she tries to kind of like thread the line there that I think a lot of people try and thread um, in our modern society with the internet of like, oh, but the internet does a lot of good things too, you know, and it's, it, mm-hmm. yes, it brings out the worst in people, but there's all this good stuff. Like you can buy things and you can make the money to buy those things, you know, like consumerism wins. I don't know. Right. Like, just, right. Consumerism know, like, always wins. And, and, and I think that this, this, this movie is definitely not equipped to fight that particular um, particular idea. Right. I mean, in, in some ways this, this movie is the result of consumerism always winning. Right, exactly. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I had mixed, I had weird feelings about it. I went um, really back and forth in this movie. I wept at parts of this movie. I, I think we talked about it last time. That I am just because of the position I continue to find myself in, in my, my various teaching gigs, I'm like a super sucker for uh, male-female re- mentor relationships. And, and so, uh, you know, the, this movie was always going to hit me in the soul, um, in, in, in that sense. But I, mm-hmm. I, I kind of vacillated wildly between thinking, Oh, what a fun movie, what a moving movie. And does this movie have anything at all to say? And then finally, um, what it does have to say, and I, we'll get to this in a little while. I know I'm not, I'm not sure I can sign off on. Yeah. Um, yeah, we should we should come back to that of, of you know what what does this movie say? Yeah. <laughs> but at the um, same time, there's so much that's fun in this movie, right? Like there's the the much vaunted Disney princess scene, which I think is is mostly as good as everybody says it is, and the mm-hmm. even better scene at the end where they all like work together to save Ralph, and that's wonderful. And it's it's the sort of fan service. I don't normally like fan service, but it's the sort of fan service I can get behind. You know that that they're all they're all doing these things we remember from the movies, and they're doing them in this new way that's going to save Ralph. And and it's like okay, so so sometimes giving the people what they want is actually kind of satisfying. Or maybe I'm just a sucker. <laughs> maybe we're all just kind of suckers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I I do think the Disney princesses stuff is the is the high point of the movie for sure. Um. And maybe, yeah, maybe it is because of fan service or, you know, because we've, you know, you and I have, have spent a lot of time <laughs> you know, thinking about these things. So maybe that's why it's satisfying. I don't know. Yeah. But. Yeah, yeah but it's, the, I mean, the, fir- the first movie, I, I remember being kind of inconsistent. This This movie is much more inconsistent. Mm-hmm. Um, even even emotionally, I think it's inconsistent, let alone philosophically. And when you combine it with the first movie, when you, if you want to look at the two of them as a whole, I think it's just a, an unholy mess. Mm-hmm. In, in, in some ways, I think this movie undoes a lot of the philosophical work that the first movie was doing. 
and yeah. and I can't see where there's a whole lot of um, there's a whole lot of incisive satire about the internet. And part of that is this is a movie meant for children, right? So like the the comment section that he reads is not terribly intense. They're they're calling him a fat loser or whatever. When yeah. I mean really, what it should be saying is go kill yourself or something even worse than that. <laughs> you know, but you don't right. want that in a kids movie. I get that. No, yeah, you don't. I get that. Yeah, I was thinking about that too. Like I feel like this movie. It's it's cognizant of the fact that it's um, going to be seen by a lot of kids, uh, which is good. I'm glad right, that it's cognizant right. of that. It'd be a very different movie if it wasn't cognizant of that. I don't think it's really made for kids. Like I don't think uh, like codependency is like really an well, issue that a lot of kids are are, are dealing with. You know, we're, we're moving into that era where all the Disney movies are about adult psychological issues. Um, in, instead of being kind of fairy tale stories, right? And I don't know if I'd push this all the way to adult. Um, I may, I mean, definitely adults deal with codependency stuff. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but like, I felt like this movie probably works really well for like middle school. Like it, it, it feels aimed at like a middle school audience. Um, definitely when I was a middle school social emotional counselor i was gonna say you're in a unique position to evaluate that yeah well i kind of you know you do deal with a lot of that like as kids as uh kids transition from an elementary age to a middle school age they do deal with a lot of these like friendship issues that are brought up in this movie like specifically like what um uh shank 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 says you know that uh um i wish somebody had told me that that best friends don't need to share dreams. Like mm. that's a real thing, you know, like you get to middle school and this, this kid where like the depth of your friendship is really the, the way that you guys play together, you know? And then all of a sudden you want to go out for drama or you want to go out for basketball or whatever. And your friend doesn't, you know, that like that can cause a lot of real tension in a relationship. Like I, you know, so like, I felt like in that sense, like this movie is, is directly aimed at like a middle schooler, but I'm not a middle schooler anymore, so it kind of didn't land for me, you know? Mm. Like, it, it felt a little too, uh, like, they're just very, it's very on the nose as far as, like, insecurity. Don't be insecure. Don't be insecure. Don't be insecure. And yeah, yeah, the, yeah. They really, the they really hammered that way too much. Yeah, and, well, and then, I mean, it, and it just, you know, at least for me as an adult viewer, you know, like, it just telegraphed where they were going. By the time the virus shows up, I was like, oh, I know exactly where this is going <laughs> because viruses look for insecurities. And, you know, Ralph is insecure because they've told us 15 times Ralph is insecure, you know. Um, 100% insecure, as it turns out. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> so, yeah, that that part of the movie didn't, it didn't work for me. Yeah. Not that I think it's a bad message. I just I didn't. I didn't. I didn't think about it being aimed because I don't deal with that age group. You know, I I see this as being aimed. And you know, if I thought about it, it would be clear that a children's cartoon is probably not aimed at um, young adults. But that's the way. That's the way it read to me that this is about leaving home in some ways. So it's about somebody leaving at the end of high school or leaving at the end of college and kind of starting a new life apart from all their old friends. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and maybe it works on that level as well. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, that's not the way I was thinking about it. But, I mean, you're, you're right. Like, it's not like that theme isn't there, you know? Like, Vanellope's whole arc is that she's, you know, she finds this new place and she feels like it's more home than home is, you know? Like, that's what she says. And so that's that's definitely yeah. a, that's definitely a, you know, I, I mean, I remember exactly that feeling you know when i you know left for for college and was you know visiting campuses you know like that's that's a big part of why i went to uh tfc was because when i got there i was like oh this is this feels really right you know mm-hmm. what else do you go off of i mean unless you're like a really i mean i know there's those kids who are super driven and so they have that to go off of but that's not me (laughs) (laughs) so i definitely went off of this feeling of like oh i like it here (laughs) this feels right (laughs) yeah which you can you can kind of you can kind of understand from from her perspective as well that she had she had been in sugar rush her entire existence i won't even say life her entire existence and had ambitions beyond it But I think that's where you really run into some problems with the first movie. Because yeah, go go back to that and talk about the how this is undoing the philosophy of the first movie. Because I forget what, exactly what we said about the philosophy of the first movie, or even I, if we said it. So yeah, I, I don't remember what we said. But as I think back to the first movie, it seems like the message of the first movie, and so much as the movie has a message or whatever, is that limits are real. And that it's important to be able to accept the life that a person has been given, right? So the 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 premise of the first movie is that Wreck-It Ralph doesn't like being a villain, and he feels very isolated and alienated, and maybe even a little bored with his life in the Fix-It Felix Jr. game. And what he wants is to go find a new place where he can be the hero. Right? Mm-hmm. And what he learns is that in his own way, he is the hero, that he's a necessary part of the ecosystem, to use one of our favorite words on this show, mm-hmm. the ecosystem of the Fix-It Felix game, that the, the game literally cannot exist without him. This movie, Vanellope feels something very, very similar, right? She doesn't feel alienated as much. She feels bored. She feels unfulfilled. And instead of saying that she should learn to accept her limits and accept her place in her ecosystem, the message of the movie is that she should go and be in a open world game. I don't think they use the term open world, but she does say, Hey, look, I can do anything I want in this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no track here. She she can, she can go accept this world of absolute freedom. And Ralph is a bad friend for wanting her to learn the lesson that he learned at the end of the last movie. Mm-hmm. And so, like, if you watch this movie isolated from the first movie, which I obviously I did at first because I, I didn't rewatch the first one, I, I think the message of the movie is a little easier to swallow. But when you combine it with the first movie, I just don't understand what they think human life should be. Are you supposed to be committed to the life you've been given, or are you supposed to go forth and do whatever it is you want to do, and nobody should hold you back? Mm-hmm. Um, is there a sense in which she's not just going turbo? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um, <laughs> when you say it that way, like, you're, yeah, I mean, that's just, yeah, that's that, that puts a really good 
crystal clear lens on it, Michael. I really, I really like the way you phrased that. And I actually, I thought I actually had that same thought, not, not the going turbo part at the very beginning when she's wishing like there. So, the, so uh, wh- whatever the, the, the name of the, um, the guy who runs the arcade is, I forget Lip, his name. Lipwick. Lipwick. Yeah. So Lipwick is going to, Lit, to plug. Lit, Litwalk. Okay, he's going to plug in the Wi-Fi router, and they and the the video game people all think it's a new game getting plugged in. And Vanellope is saying, "Please be a racing game. Please be a racing game." And I I had that thought. I was like, "If it's a racing game, what are you going to do? Are you going to go right. join that game? Like, isn't right. that exactly what Turbo did? Was go from one racing game to another? You know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Exactly." So to so <laughs> to square your circle, Michael, and I I don't believe this. I'm being completely facetious, just so it's clear. But like maybe that's what the uh, the racing video game, you know, like he had to accept his role as the villain. Like what a what a video game racer has to do is go to another game. <laughs> well, it was, and, I mean, it was never King Candy's fault to begin with. <laughs> he had my to wife pointed out something that I think is a fair point, which is that the way turbo behaves is that he goes into the game and takes over and Mm -hmm. instead vanellope goes into the new game and submits herself to the rules of the game and doesn't have to be in charge and i i I, that is a difference that's um that's not a non-negligible difference yeah she doesn't take shank's place it's not it doesn't become you know vanellope is the head of this you know family of of crime lords (laughs) yeah but, but she does she does totally abandon her game which she is on the console of, right? Like she's on the the side of the game. People, right. the only time we've seen anybody play that game and at the end of the last movie and now, like she is the draw. That's why people want to play the game. They want to play as Vanellope. Yeah. So the game is going to be missing something without her. And it, it could very well be that they're going to shut it down without her, even though he's paid $27,000 for the, <laughs> the steering wheel. <laughs> um, she doesn't say anything to anyone in the game. And in fact, she basically abandons Ralph. And I know that she's like working it out and she's talking to Shank, but she is supposed to meet him somewhere mm-hmm. and she just completely ghosts him. Yeah. She completely ignores him. And and we're supposed to be, we're supposed to look down on him for being insecure about that. Who wouldn't be insecure about that? Yeah. You know, like this is his only friend in the world. That's, right. Right. that's not that's not true that's not true because he's clearly friends with felix and he's friends with other people i shouldn't say right. that yeah. it came it around is, they, they have this very intense relationship and and yeah there's probably some codependency there he probably depends on her too much but still for her just to like yeah i'll meet you there in five minutes and then just never show up mm-hmm. and she doesn't even know that he uh came in on that telecom and heard the conversation as right. far as she knows, he has no idea where she is. He could think she's dead. She knows that he <laughs> worries about her. I, yeah. I, I found I found her actions, I, I won't say indefensible, because I certainly understand them from her perspective, but the movie didn't seem willing to criticize her for it, for them the way it was perfectly willing to criticize Ralph when he was wrong, both yeah. in this movie and in the first one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. I mean, Shank does does give her a little bit of feedback like hey you you haven't told ralph yet like you yeah. really need to tell him you that's know true. like that's true so there is a little bit there but you're right that by the time they get back together um at that point 
it's all completely Ralph's fault. And this is all like Ralph caused all of this, you know? So. Yeah. Right. Because he wants her to do the thing that the universe decided he had to do in the first movie. Yeah. Which is, which is accept the, accept his role in life. Right. Which I think I, yeah, that I, I just think that's a really crucial and, and excellent point to make <laughs> because I, I, I didn't think about it um, until you said it, but you're right. It is really undoing that, that message from the first movie. Well, and Josh, I didn't think about it in terms of the sorts of things that like, 11 and 12 year olds go through as they, as they get older and change and have to update their friendships, you know, their mm-hmm. friendships change. And I, I think if you look at it from that lens, it's, it's a much better message that, that look, you can change and still be friends. That's a, that's, a, that is a really good thing to tell young people. Although probably what happens more often than that is people change and they grow apart and they're not going to be friends anymore. And that's okay. Which I've never seen a children's movie say, right. Um, um, but which is, you know, the the actual facts of things is that, like, this was one of the hardest things for me to learn as a person with codependent tendencies, is that um, most friendships are like umbrellas that you, you're there when you need them, and when it stops raining, you you put them down and it's okay. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean you hate each other. It doesn't mean you were just using each other. It means that most friendships are temporary. Mm-hmm. They're there for a particular time, and and that's all right. I would love to see a movie that that took that track, but it would be such a difficult thing to put across without coming across as callous. I mean, even now when I just said that, I I worry that it's me saying, oh, you know, it doesn't matter if you mistreat people or, Mm -hmm. you know, use them or whatever, because that's not what I mean. Yeah. Michael, Um, what's going to happen after we reach the end of the canon? (laughs) <laughs> well, you, you, you and I have already kind of gone through this, right? Like you, you and I were very close friends, and then we didn't talk for ten years. And you, you can never, you can never tell who's going to come back into your life. I know. Yeah, it's really true. And I never felt a whole lot of anxiety. You know, I was always a little, little bit sad if I thought about it. Well, you know, Josh and I never talk anymore. Yeah. But I, I never felt like, I never felt like one of us had done something wrong. You know? mm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I know you're making a joke. Yeah. What, what's uh, going to happen is I'm going to go on to a bigger podcast where <laughs> nobody can hold me back from doing. Wait, am I? Wait, am I Wreck It Ralph or am I Vanellope? <laughs> I just I don't even know anymore. <laughs> Which one of us is the bigger screw up? That's a that's a difficult <laughs> question to answer. <laughs> wow. So, uh, so so yeah, I, I I don't know. It it kind of depends on what you take this as a metaphor for. And and because I've spent most of my professional career with early 20-somethings and teenagers, I take this as a metaphor for like entering the world. And and in particular, I'm I was primed for whatever reason to see this as a metaphor for what's called digital nomadism, where you you don't have any limits, where you you don't even own anything, you don't live anywhere, you just continue to rent and move and work from home, but there is no home because you live for six months one place and six months another place and six months right. another place. Yeah. And and that's 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 what I was primed for whatever reason to see this as. But your reading is so reasonable and so wholesome that I, I wonder if I have overanalyzed this in the way that Nathan Gilmore is always accusing me of <laughs> Yeah. No, but I I don't know, Michael. I think I think it really I I can see your point entirely because I really I wasn't I didn't love the movie when, you know, when I, when I got yeah. done with it, I was kind of like, eh, I'm just, it was not really my speed, you know, like it wasn't really like what I was looking for. Um, and definitely I think 
the I would share, I think you and I would share a lot of the same criticisms of that digital nomadish lifestyle, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so um, if it is saying that, I, I'm 100% with you. I'm like, that's not, that's, that's not really a, uh, a message that I want <laughs> in any movie, let alone a Disney movie, you know? Um, right. right. Well, and Disney's such a perfect company to do it, though, because fan culture is so intrinsically part of that that in in some ways you have uploaded your life your cares your responsibilities to oh my disney or whatever yeah. whatever your whatever the whatever the real world equivalent of um of that fan site is yeah bleak. no i yeah it is bleak i th- i and i agree <laughs> because there's i don't know i i really i really enjoy doing this podcast I know that there are people who somehow, I'm not quite sure, um, monetize, <laughs> you know, like what we're doing, you know? And sometimes I think about like, well, what if I was making money doing it? Could I do that? And I just, I don't know if I actually could. Like, on the one hand, it sounds great, you know? Like, um, oh yeah, get paid to like, you know, do what you, you love. Play to play video games. <laughs> yeah, get paid to play video games. Exactly. And, but then on the other hand, it's like, well, but is that, is that life? You know, is that really fulfilling in any way? I, I don't know. I think that the, the I think I didn't expect this conversation at all, um, which is great. But like, I, I do feel like if you scratch this movie a little bit, there are there are some real philosophical questions in there about like what what makes a good life, you know, which I didn't I didn't expect. I wasn't thinking about it at all. Yeah. And answers answers that might not might not be that good to accept. Mm-hmm. Or at least go against the stream of what I think most people watching the movie would accept, maybe. But I, I don't know, and that's where I could get, like, that's where I could almost get on board, like, this movie maybe is a satire, you know? Because, like, who really wants to be um, Spamly or whatever his name is, you know? Like, obviously, there's there are people who who do that, you know? Like, that's their life, but, like, is that really who you want to be? I don't know. Yeah, I thought it was very interesting that... Um... But the pop-up ads were not vilified. Um, I, I thought that was actually a, a really interesting choice. It, it wasn't. Um, I don't mean interesting necessarily in a bad way, but you would expect you would expect that person to be kind of subhuman, and they they actually humanized the pop-up ad, like the, everybody's least favorite part of the internet. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, he's in some ways he's more human. I want I want to hang out here for a second because. You said something earlier about, you know, um, like that digital nomadish lifestyle, how you you kind of shrink your life. And this I think this movie actually it it exactly characterizes that. Like all the little avatars are a shrunken down little version of the human being that they represent, you know? Right. And they're, less they're less expressive. Less expressive. And exactly like and it always in exactly the same way. Like all the humans are exactly the same. Um and then the the only characters who, you know, break out of that mold are, you know, the Disney princesses, the the algorithms, the pop up ads, <laughs> you know, like I don't know, it's it's weird. It's I, I don't know if they're trying to say something or not, but if they are, like that's that's something interesting to say, you know, like I, the, the closest I came to seeing this as like purposefully dystopian, and I don't think the movie meant it this way, but the 
the the worst sequence in the movie was all the the buzz tube stuff. I like it that 15 20 minutes I think you probably could have excised from this movie and the movie would have been substantially better. Mm-hmm. But there's there's this scene where the two office workers are watching Ralph's um meme videos. Yeah. And it cuts to their avatars standing in the buzz tube headquarters. It's like a like the New York Stock Exchange. Mm-hmm. And they're they're giving their hearts and like there's this look on the avatar's face, like somebody has hit him over the head with a club and he's drooling. Uh-huh. And it's like, oh, so like this is this is actually a satire of of our engagement with online content. Except mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think the movie really pursued that, if indeed it meant it that way at all. Yeah. Yeah, I was I really couldn't figure out what they meant by that. Because I mean when when they're fir- when he's first watching that viral video, he's got such a, a like the actual human not the avatar but the the human like sitting at his desk he's got such a dead look on his face like he's so bored like he's doom scrolling you know right <laughs> like, right <laughs> i just i don't know man it's it's weird. it's weird yeah i i feel like i feel like the movie is is not really willing to engage with how dystopian our online life really is mhm I feel like it wants to celebrate it and there's these places where it can't quite get past the fact that we are behaving in subhuman ways for a lot of our existence. Yeah. Online. It's like um, it seeps through. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it, it's so obviously true that the movie can't hide it. And so like the, the first parts of the movie where they go to the internet, it's so exciting and so imaginative. And it, it's, that's the part of the movie that really does feel like, the first movie where they're jumping from game to game and um and you know if you grew up playing arcade games like we did um you know there, there's something beautiful and exciting about that but once it really settles in to its life on the internet it it gets either kind of boring or like dystopian without even realizing it mm-hmm. it wants us to celebrate things that no sane person would celebrate Yeah, and that's where I felt like, you know, the first movie was such a love letter, and this one, it, it definitely doesn't feel like a love letter, but then I was like, but do we need a love letter to the internet? Is that really what we need, you know? No, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the reason you can have a love letter to 1980s arcade games is because it's it can be nostalgic, but there's no way to be nostalgic about the world we currently live in. Right. Maybe yeah. maybe when Web 3.0 comes around and things are even worse, we'll look back at this era and think, oh, wasn't YouTube wonderful? Wasn't it right. wonderful before they um, buzzed it directly into your brain and shocked you with electric shocks if you weren't paying close enough attention or whatever? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whatever, whatever, whatever horrible dystopian thing they're going to come up with next. Yeah, because there is a little there is a faction of the Internet um, that you know, has been around since the early days that still has that, that has that nostalgia for the early days of the internet when it was websites and not, um, (laughs) you know, uh, all social media platforms, you know? Um, And I, I wondered if they would do anything with that, but they really don't. Like there's, there's a, uh, a couple minor like site gags, um, isn't there a GeoCities gag? There's a GeoCities. It's not even really a gag. It's when when Ralph when jumps he dives down, down to get his uh, yeah his medal. 
yeah, way, way down into the deep core of the internet, right? Um, it's like the internet has, actually, I didn't think about this until I'm saying it, but like, um, it, it's kind of uh, clever. Um, the city of the internet has just like built on top of itself, you know, uh -huh. which is which is pretty much how the internet actually is. You know, everything is built on something that came before it. Um, so yeah, when he goes way down deep into the core, um, he has to pick up a, uh, like the fallen building of of GeoCities, you know, to uh, not the building, but like the whatever that outer part of the the building is called, the facade, um, because his cookie is smashed underneath it. And behind him, there's like a like an old like um, it looks like a VW or something, you know, and it's like a, uh, a public chat room, you know, it's back there, and so. Yeah, I used to love those chat rooms, those text-based chat rooms. That was my real that, time. That was my very first experience with the internet. Was um, I was at a friend's house and he was like, "Check this out," you know, and like we went on to this chat room and he was pretending to be some like uh, I don't know. He he was he was trying to attempt to get people in the chat room to believe that he was some celebrity from Star Trek or something, probably, you know? That was, like, and, the thing to do back then. It was yeah. the great danger of those chat rooms. Is, remember, <laughs> right. there were all those jokes about men pretending to be women. Right. <laughs> I can't it's funny, like, that doesn't seem to be a concern anymore. It's, like, now, now the internet is so much about cultivating a brand. Yeah. Another thing that I, this movie does kind of do that, right? It it deals with Ralph cultivating this brand, and it helps that he's all people already have nostalgia for the game mm -hmm. in universe, right? But there, there too, the satire never really takes off. It it doesn't it doesn't get at what's truly pernicious about brandizing ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which they could they totally could have done, I think. Um... You know, they they want to make this whole message about insecurity, and you feel like um, Ralph's insecurities mm -hmm. could have led that on that onto that path. You know, like I can't. I mean, it's not Ralph's actual story, so I, I guess that's why they didn't. But like, I can't connect with people in my actual life, but I can make people on the internet love me. You know, right? It would it, it might have been interesting if the movie had gone in that direction. And uh, the movie wanted to be Vanellope's story because Ralph got the first one, and I I support that. Like that's fine. Mm -hmm. um, and you can't criticize a movie for not telling a different story than the one it told. Although I guess we did do that with uh, Home on the Range. That's that. Uh, if our listeners don't remember that or didn't hear that episode, they might go back and hear Josh completely redesign Home on the Range to be a good movie. <laughs> it's just a, a completely different movie than the one it actually turned out to be. Yeah, I, I do fall into that that trap probably more often than I should. You're right. And that movie is so much worse than this one that the only way we could talk about it other than just repeating this is the this is a terrible movie over <laughs> and over and over again would be to redesign it. I don't th I don't think you would necessarily have to do that with, with this one, but th there is a there is a real dissatisfying quality to a lot of the stuff in this movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you said it well early on like it's it it just feels like three different stories smashed together and they didn't, they didn't quite figure it out, which yeah, actually the, yeah. the Wikipedia page kind of alludes to as well. Like the, when it was in development, they, they, they went through a number of scripts on this thing. So, 
Well, and there's four credited or two credited screenwriters and four credited story people, which I guess was true of the first one as well, but it's never a great sign. Yeah. Um, this one, even more than the first one, feels like an episode of Futurama to me, maybe because there is an episode of Futurama where they go on the Internet and it's like this, that you're you're you, you walk through it, you put on a suit and and like physically go into the internet like like they do in this mm -hmm. um and i i should have rewatched that episode of futurama to see what sorts of stuff they call back to and i, I should look and see if uh rich moore who directed this directed that episode because he might well have but um but if if indeed it is on that kind of um Futurama model, it makes sense that it would feel like three stories put together, right? Because Futurama is a 30-minute show. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes amazing things come from that, you know, when you've got a couple different ideas and you smash them together and then you get one really great idea, like, that, you know, exceeds the other two. But this this one, I don't know, felt didn't, <laughs> it didn't quite have that. At least for me, like I said, I'm willing to admit that this might be a great movie, but like it really didn't land for me. I was kind of like meh on it. I watched it twice because I like to, uh, you know, I'd never seen it before, so I like to, you know, the first watch I feel or first watch, I feel like it just, you know, has to go. You have to go through that, and then the second one you could actually view it with like a critical eye, and um, so I just I did like it a little better on the second the second watching but it still is not really i don't know not really the not my favorite of, of ones we've watched no no although not my least favorite either you know like there's some there's some good stuff here there's there's some very funny parts there as i said i was very moved by um at a number of points in this movie um, mm -hmm. maybe maybe even embarrassingly moved <laughs> 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 what shank say oh i appreciate your vulnerability <laughs> yeah yeah i thought that stuff was very funny when you meet these these um these gta-esque gangsters and they uh -huh. they use all this um positive psychology language <laughs> yeah what's his name butcher boy yeah that's all right butcher boy you still have value <laughs> yeah. Like that, that was very funny and unexpected. I didn't think the Gal Gadot performance was very good, but I don't think she's a very good actor. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the writing there was very funny and unexpected, which is what you want, right? Like you don't, you don't want it to go exactly where you think it's going to. You want it to make that 90 degree turn and then, um, then it surprises you and you can laugh at it. So I, I mean, I really did appreciate that part and I thought the car chase action scene was really well done. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing that was really great, and this is kind of a callback to the first movie too, like they did such a good job of capturing like the the quirkiness of video games, like the way characters move and the pixelation and stuff. And like, so when those two players have made it into, you know, when we first meet Shank and her crew, Butcher Boy and all the rest, um, and, and they walk in and they, they walk in totally like smoothly and like, um, you know, because when you're watching a video game, if you if you reach a cut scene moment, usually it all does move very fluidly. And then like, but when it pans out a little bit, you can see the characters, they're like walking in place and like <laughs> to turn, you know, like it's just very like, oh, yeah, that's just how like a, that's just how those games are. <laughs> I, the other thing I thought they missed their opportunity with with the um, oh, what's it called? The 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 GTA um, 
game that they, mm-hmm. they go oh, into. Oh, uh, Slaughter Race. Slaughter Race. When you have the, the two player characters, uh-huh. and it, it turns out they're kids, I they miss the opportunity to have the big, tough guy say, I'm working on my homework, Grandma, and then cut to the kid so that you see that it's a... Uh, so the so that you see it's a, oh, a child yeah. in real life. I, I thought that would yeah, have been I much see. funnier. I don't know yeah. why they didn't do it that way. Yeah. Have you ever played one of those MMORGs? Isn't that what those are called? That is what they're called. Yes. Um. No, I've never really gotten into them. I think I played Fortnite once for like five minutes. Right. And I realized I was too old for it. I, yeah. I didn't. I didn't understand the appeal at all. My yeah. students play Fortnite six hours a night. Yeah, I've dabbled. Exactly for that reason, because my students are into it. So I'm trying to figure out like, okay, what, at least to know what they're talking about, you know? Um, And because I do enjoy the occasional video game. I don't play nearly as much as I did when I was a kid, but you know, I I enjoy them. Well, you have four children. So if you played, if you played video games as much as you did when you were 14, they could probably take your kids away from you. Yeah, that's probably true. And (laughs) I don't mean that would would be terrible. I don't want that to happen. (laughs) So... (laughs) but yeah so yeah i've i've dabbled in in them in the same way like i i mean yeah negligible amounts of fortnite i was just wondering how um how accurate the uh that those scenes were to the experience of playing those games yeah i couldn't speak to it I yeah because I, I mean obviously we talked about that quite a bit with the with the first movie right because those were games we were familiar with and how mm-hmm. how well they got the feeling of those games down i would assume they got the MMORG down just as well because um, be- because they did their research, but uh, I can't evaluate it. Yeah. Certainly they did not get the feeling of surfing the internet down, I don't think. And, and, and there's, a, there's a, a good reason for that, I think, which is that when shows like this or Futurama or that that great Chappelle show sketch where he goes into the internet like it's a shopping mall, although that's very uh very not appropriate for children. <laughs> <laughs> what? I was Chappelle? waiting by the way. I was waiting for a some sort of coded pornography reference in this and I was glad that I didn't notice one. Maybe maybe it's there but I didn't see it. Yeah, I didn't see that either. Thankfully. Um, but I mean part of the problem with doing a uh a kind of physical embodiment of the internet is the, the very nature of the internet is the way it, it dissociates you from your body. And mm-hmm. and so there is no walking from one bill. There's no meet you at eBay in five minutes. You would go immediately to eBay, right? right? There's no riding in a car and having to take time to get there. There's no seeing other people. It's, it's so, so much of the internet is just like individual like the one place they really got it was the people standing in BuzzTube and just staring at the screen. And it might be doing it in a group, but they're all interacting directly with the screen in the most banal and easy ways. Mm-hmm. And, and that's much more what our interaction is like online, I think. There's that, and then there's the social media interaction, which is um, toxic in various ways on various um, different social media platforms. And and they didn't. I don't think they criticized that at all. Yeah, I mean, not beyond the comments. It's a little thing. Right, exactly. right. And even that was so toothless by necessity. I get it. You can't you can't show what's actually evil about a uh, about a comment section in a in a movie that children are going to watch. I, yeah. I, th- I thank them for that. If they had done that, it would have been horrible. Right. <laughs> but it, that that's just a kind of limitation of the. Um, 
of the subject they've chosen in the medium they've chosen. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know what I'm asking for. I think that was the thing that I've kind of came away from this movie for, with also was like, um, I don't know what I'm supposed to get from the. And so part of this, I think, and at this point, it might be good to talk about Double Dan. Um, <laughs> because like when I saw Double Dan, I, there was like a part of me that was like, okay, that's really gross and but also interesting and weird and you know the the type of thing that like an animation can do well you know and so like there's like something appealing about it but at the same time this movie is obviously very cognizant that it's number 57 (laughs) in line and like it's got 81 histories 81 years of history into it and and speaking of brand you know like it's part of the disney brand you know and double dan doesn't feel like part of all that and i'm not trying to like be a gatekeeper or a pharisee or whatever and be like well if you do this it's not a disney movie or whatever you know but like i just felt like yeah like what this he seemed to step right out of like a futurama yeah the sorts of things this movie was kind of touching on or pushing against were all the sorts of things that you can't really do well in a disney movie maybe you know like maybe that's the part of the problem with it yeah oh Gosh, can you imagine if if um, Wreck It Ralph had gone to 4chan or something <laughs> like that? Which people talk about is the worst worst thing on the internet. I don't know. I think the mainstream social media is much more pernicious than something like 4chan, just because such a small minority of mm-hmm. people go on 4chan, but everyone's on Facebook. Everybody but you, right? Everyone but me, or Instagram, or whatever. Yeah, some people don't use Facebook. Yeah. I don't know. I mean that's the thing about this this movie is like it it got the it's the Disney Disneyification of the internet, you know? And right. I usually I I've, I know I've used that word more than once on this on this show and I generally don't I I feel like it's a, a normally a kind of a weak sauce criticism of like, you know, polishing the edges off things and you say oh it's Disneyfied. But I think in this case it that that actually stands you know like when they go to like i mean it's super fast it's probably like two seconds that you see inside the instagram building and it looks like a you know like like a museum like it's like fine what a lovely place it is yeah it's like yeah that's not really (laughs) nobody's posting thirst traps in the uh in in instagram and right i wonder if part of the problem is they used the real names of the companies and thus they could not be as critical as they otherwise would be able to. Yeah. Except for BuzzTube. Yeah, isn't that interesting? But BuzzTube is the closest thing to actual satire you get in the movie. Yeah. So they, they Maybe they didn't want to be sued by YouTube, although they, they point out that BuzzTube is a competitor of YouTube. Yeah, definitely. Because Yes says that um, that some video is already on YouTube. Yeah. Hmm. It's a really frustrating movie. I think frustrating is a good word for it. Yeah. I love the relationship between Ralph and Vanellope so much. Um, I wish, I wish, I, I don't mind there being a sequel in theory. I wish they had had a sequel that was more worthy of, um, of their relationship, which I think is, is largely well-drawn and moving. Yeah. Again, I think you're, I'm a sucker for that. No, I think you're right. And I think, 
I think actually to view this movie in the very best light, the very kindest light, that's what they were trying to focus on yeah. is the relationship between Ralph and Vanellope and the internet is meant to be just kind of the background for that larger story they're they're trying to tell, which is actually exactly what happened in Wreck-It Ralph, yeah. right? In Wreck-It Ralph, they established this whole world of the video games and the first 15, 20 minutes of that movie are super nostalgic for the 80s stuff and like and, and early 90s stuff. And it's, I mean, it's super great, but we talked about this when, during Wreck-It Ralph, like it's not really the point of the story. And as soon as they get to Sugar, Sugar Land or Sugar Rush, like whatever, <laughs> whatever the name of that, what is the name of that thing? Sugar Rush. Okay, yeah. Um, that's the Joy Electric song. Um, as soon as they get there, like it's, um, they really drop that. You know, they really drop all that video game stuff um, and focus on the story. Right, and it becomes a human story. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what they were going for here. Um, it's just that I come in with so much baggage about how I feel about the internet right now. <laughs> well, like, well, right. Like you, I want to, I want a criticism of the internet, you know, and, and they're actually trying to tell this human story, which is not a bad, I mean, which is a good human story, you know, like, I, and I think the relationship is meant to be the focus. And probably if any of the list, the creators ever heard this episode, they would be frustrated that we're an hour into talking about it. And we've, we've, not really hung out on that relationship at all like because right. and, and that relationship is important right and it is important that ralph learns that you can't control people you love that, that that you have to let them have the freedom to pursue their own interests and their own loves and apart from any kind of digital nomadism or rejection of limits or place i mean that is a that is a very good thing to learn especially for people who are insecure about their relationships with other people, right? That you can't control them. You can't make them stay. You can't make them love you. Mm-hmm. And that they, they love you out of their own freedom. And so you have to grant them their freedom. Like, I, right. I think that is a, a really good thing, not just for young people to learn, but it's something I have to learn, you know, all the time yeah. too. Right. So if you, if you do divorce think- it from, from the, the internet, and especially if you divorce it from the first movie, I, I think the relationship stuff is pretty well done. Yeah. The problem is, or the, the, the frustration. Just won't let me compliment this movie, Josh. No, I'm not, I'm not taking that away from you. I think part of the frustration, like I think frustrating was a good word for it, is the internet exacerbates all those relationship problems. That's so right. Like you're you're doing a movie about how to have a healthy relationship in a setting of the most unhealthy. I would say they're not even unhealthy relationships so often as like just flat out fake relationships. You know, like with the the people you know on the internet and only know on the internet. It's it's not not only can you not control them, you don't even really know them, <laughs> you know, like it's not real. I don't know. It's not real community, you know? Well, and then, I mean, the other problem is that the internet removes us from our actual communities and we live our life increasingly on the internet. Yeah. That's a better way to say what I'm trying to say. Thank you. That's, that's much better. It's not so much that your, your relationships on the internet are fake. That's, that's kind of beside the point. The, the fact is that the more time you spend with those relationships, even if they are very real and genuine and true, you know, like you're still not spending that time 
with the people in your actual physical proximity life. And that's that's a problem for yeah. me. But again, the movie's not really a satire of the internet. The internet is just the backdrop for this yeah for this interpersonal story. Right. So anyway, I don't know. Which in some ways is is feels like an old fashioned story because they're because they're hanging out in in person together every night. They're going to a bar together every night. Right. Whereas people just don't do that anymore. Now people sit at home in their own house and text each other. Which is which is so interesting because there's something codependent about it, but also it is fur- further alienating. You're not there, but you're there all the time. And so there's you have neither freedom, nor do you have like any kind of actual in-person connection. The I, I don't know. I text people all the time. I'm not I'm criticizing myself as much as anybody. I'm not a I'm not I have not managed to break free of any of this, but I wish yeah. the movie, I wish the movie, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is I wish it had been a different movie than it is. And that's not fair as we've discussed. Right. Yeah. And I don't, I, if I'm coming across as too black and white on it, I don't mean to, I mean, obviously like, I mean, we don't live in proximity to each other, but I'm very thankful for our, our chats every month, you know, right, <laughs> like, right. like I really like, so, I mean, I think there is a real way that you, you can stay connected with people that you you knew in real life and you can connect with people of similar interests. Like, I mean, I do think there's a bright side to the internet and to, to our, our ability to communicate so easily across the world. So I don't mean to like come down too harshly and all that stuff. But I also think that the, the cure for a lot of what ails our current culture, our current society is that people are not in, in actual community with one another, you know? Right. I would agree with that. Hmm. Which <clears throat> I didn't know if I was going to be able to do, pull this in or not, but I I think I can. So there they were at uh they go to Nosemore. Then they first go to Nosemore, who is very funny. Uh, uh, this is a uh, uh, what's his name, Alan Tudyk. Alan Tudyk, yeah, it's yeah, a great performance. Yeah, and I mean he's and as we mentioned before on the show, he's in he's in every Disney movie now. So this was his this was his spot in this movie, um, and his little. Uh, autofill um or auto whatever that thing is called the the guessing what what you're gonna say um it's very very fun. autofill yeah. yeah autocomplete autocomplete yes thank you um <laughs> very very funny um but uh so the um the lady before them is searching for tutus for her daughter and uh she ends up buying them or going to the website desmond tutus yeah desmond's tutus um which desmond tutu is the archbishop of the or was he's um passed on now but uh arch archbishop of the anglican church in uh south africa yeah yeah a famous <laughs> anti-apartheid advocate right and a famous community advocate like very like um I, I had a Desmond Tutu quote pulled up earlier and then I, I closed it because I didn't think we'd get to it. But like, you know, on on uh, what we're talking about, about the, the need for actual, um, you know, relationships and, and the inter, in interdependence that that's necessary to being human, you know. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, I, I, I didn't I've, I've lost the quote now because I've I've, I've closed it, but. I, yeah. I, I think it's funny that they they 
they put they, that they brought in you know, Desmond Tutu. They brought in Desmond Tutu. So maybe you know maybe there is something to the the fact that this is all a satire. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I think they just saw that as a that, that seems like a very Simpsons gag to me, doesn't it, Yick? Yeah, it does. Of course, the Simpsons would have actually satirized the internet. I think I don't think it would have been like the celebration of fan culture in this movie. I get why they have to do it because Disney benefits enormously from fan culture, but fan culture in particular seems so terrible to me in so many ways, and and the fact that it has anything any kind of actual effect on the things being produced really disturbs me. Mm-hmm. So Disney was never going to critique that, right? Cause like, that's what Disney runs on. Right. But I would have enjoyed seeing more critique of that. Like there's something they, they hint at it for, for no reason that corresponds to anything in reality. But the fact that the princesses are, but they're not slaves exactly, but they're constantly kept at work doing these stupid, which princess would be your best friend. <laughs> quiz. Yeah. It seems like they're going to do some sort of serious critique of fan culture there, but they don't. And that's not a that wouldn't be any kind of serious criticism, because, of course, the problem with fan culture is not that it keeps fictional characters working too hard. Yeah, <laughs> that part of the that's another movie, part of the movie that I just there's several parts where I just had these like very like I didn't I didn't know how to categorize what I was feeling. So the you know the 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 princess Quizlet is like, how would your friends describe you? You know, smart, kind, whatever, you know? Right, all and, these good things. There's no room for, like, my friends would describe me as a little bit needy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then, it, but then, I mean, it cuts to the girl at her laptop, and it is. It's a young girl, you know, taking this quiz. And she's, like, so, like, heartfelt, like, the way they drew her, you know, like, trying uh-huh. to think this over. Like, oh, I don't know, kind, I guess, you know? Like, <laughs> um. And it's just like, ah, like, I don't know. Like, I, I, I felt so torn by that because on the one hand, you know, like they could have cut to, you know, it's, it's you know, some 40-year-old guy in his, in his parents' basement taking the, the quiz, you know, but they didn't, you know, like it's a, it's a genuine, like this is how this girl is interacting with things. Um, and so it's like, it's that like, is this a love letter to the internet type thing? You know, like it, this seems like heartfelt, you know, but then on the other hand, it's like, but is that really what we want our like, you know, 12 or 13 year old girls like spending their time on? <laughs> like, right, right. <laughs> instead of, you know, talking to their friends. Instead of talking to their friends. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. A, a frustrating, a frustrating movie in a lot of ways. But speaking of the princesses, so they're all there. I learned, I didn't realize this until doing the research for the movie, Anna and Elsa are not actually in the Disney princess lineup. Is Uh, that true? I didn't know that. Yeah, they're not. Um, I think... So the <laughs> I I you know I went to Nose more and said why aren't um, Elsa and Anna in the Disney Princess lineup? Um, my guess this is not what the article said that I read, but my guess is that they don't need it. They're a brand unto themselves. That's true. Yeah. So they don't they don't need to be part of the Disney Princess lineup. And if ever they get to that point where they do need it, they'll probably be uh, enshrined at that point. But the uh, the article. Um, the fandom article that I found um, suggested that they're actually not princesses, like because Elsa gets coronated as a queen. Oh, I see. Well, doesn't that still make Anna a princess? I'm well, not sure I think, how royalty works. Yeah, I don't know either. 
I think in the spoiler alert for next month, I think in the second one, maybe um, Elsa abdicates at some oh. point. Anna, Anna takes over and is also queen. I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. I haven't either, and I've avoided spoilers until now, Josh. Thank you for that. I apologize. It's all right. Um, but yeah, it was kind of fun seeing all the all the princesses together. I felt like wearing their casual wear. That was that the was casual really wear was really funny. The casual wear was really funny. Um, and they dressed just like teenage girls dress too. Yes. Yeah. It was really. It was. It was very well done. A lot. A lot of inside jokes there. You know, um, on the on the t-shirts. So and really like, not just inside jokes, but like cleverly like, or very of this moment, I guess. You know, like they're uh-huh. they're t-shirts that you could you could imagine. I well, I'm sure that you can buy them at the Disney. Yeah, that's that's if what you, I was about to say. If you can't, what is Disney even doing? I don't know, but yeah. Um, uh, I thought some of the the kind of feminist criticism in that scene was a little bit hackneyed, but ultimately it did pay off when they were like, "Do you need a man to save you?" Right. And, and she says, "Yeah." Then they all. But then it actually pays off when they save Ralph at the end. Right. So. Yeah. They're like, "Look, a man in need of saving." <laughs> so I'll, yeah. I'll take it. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I I gave that a pass because you know that that has been an actual criticism of mine on this on yeah. this show. The reason I gave it a pass is because the question she said she asks is, "Does everyone assume that you needed a man?" I think is what they said, That's true. and That's and true. that is the way. That is actually what our what you know. I think the majority of people do assume when when they're criticizing the Disney princesses. That's what they're doing is they're assuming that the, that they needed the man. So. Yeah, that's uh, that's fair. And the rest of that scene is just so funny. It's very funny. Um, they you've got all been, the. You've never been poisoned or kidnapped, <laughs> right? Are you guys okay? <laughs> Do I need to call the police? Yeah, it's really good. And the way I I think the way they like paired them up or like grouped them up, you know, it's like that that game, uh, you know, clumps or whatever. If, if you've ever been in an awkward social situation where they've made you play that game, where it's like, you know, everybody who's x you know clumped together um and and they did that like we don't have a mom and you know like it's bell and rapunzel that are like have you ever been in prison <laughs> or like whatever you know like it's it very very funny and the you know i, I we, we were we all reflect in water <laughs> and they all the name the water that they reflect in and when then it leads to that dead-on parody of i want songs which i didn't realize was actually written by alan minkin which is yes. very funny yeah well, he at least did the music for it. I think the words right. are by the, right. the directors, but yeah, the the literal dollar store. <laughs> Look, yeah. I'm rhyming. Um, yes, very, very, very funny. They and they got all the voices, um, other than um, well, the, the dead people, and then Mary Costa is too old to right. play. Yeah, Sleeper Beauty anymore. anymore. Yeah, but, but I yeah. didn't realize Mary Costa was still alive. My I didn't notes. either. Yeah, that, that's something else I learned during this. Uh, during my research for the show here. So yeah, all, all very, very good and funny. Very enjoyable. And um, Mark Henn um, is, was the original supervising animator on a lot of those princesses and, and they got him to kind of help do the update, you know, to move them from 2D to 3D, which I was mostly happy with. I felt like Tiana was off. Like yeah, I, Tiana looked odd. I didn't, I think. I read that it. originally the, 
the early versions had her much lighter skin than she was in the movie. So I think they actually hastily redesigned her to look more like she does in the movie. And that mm-hmm. might be why she felt a little bit off. Yeah, maybe. But other than that, I felt like they did a, did a really great job. It was nice to see the, the scene with her when she relaxed. She had natural hair. She didn't have the straightened hair like she does in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't notice that, but that's that is good. That's a nice thing. I like that Mulan's uh, casual wear was was like very Chinese. <laughs> you know, everybody else is in like t-shirts, and she's still got like the uh, the not not a sports jacket, but like you know, she's got some sort of a jacket on. Very is that how Chinese teenagers dress? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Uh, that that went over my head because I don't know any Chinese teenagers. Yeah. The only the only thing they really missed was that uh, m- maybe this wasn't true four years ago when this movie came out, but um, teenage girls all wear those Lululemons. Lulu, you see how old I am. <laughs> Lululemon skirts, those impossibly short skirts. Mm. We have a dress. We have a um, uniform at my school, so I only see these horrible skirts at uh, non-school events, and I'm always horrified by how short they are. Mm. But I guess they didn't want to go that direction. They yeah, all have thankfully. them wearing um, tights. Yeah. Yeah. Athleisure, they they I guess, is the the term I'm looking for. Yeah, that's right. That's what Mulan's got going on, the athleisure. <clears throat> so, yeah, that was all very fun. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that's justly the part of this movie that everybody remembers. Um the stuff with the princesses for a very good reason. It's um, it's it's a lot of fun, and kind of very surprising that they did it. Um, you know, because they was willing to let them have some jokes with about it. Yeah, well, not just that it's jokes because I don't feel like any of the jokes are like at any of the characters' expense. You know, like um, I mean they're they're kind of, I guess they're jokes at the tropes of of princesses' expense. Um. And maybe Disney has loosened up over the years. I don't, obviously, I don't follow the princess line at all. I know that there was a time when the princess line was very, like, like, if they were all pictured together, like, on a backpack or anything, like, none of their, like, eye lines could even cross or anything. Like, they were looking at each other. Like, they all had to be, like, looking in different directions, you know, at one point. You've um, mentioned that before on the show. What is the idea there? Why, like, why? Th- they're still existing in their own like movies universe. They don't like exist in one another's universe. Oh, I see. But they may have loosened up on that a lot because I think when I was <laughs> reading today about the Disney princesses and why Anna and Elsa weren't part of it, there actually was like a Disney princess TV show at one point or oh, something. Wow, I had no idea. Yeah. Who can so. keep track of all the Disney properties? Yeah. Not, not me. Well, uh, next month we have another sequel. Frozen 2. Yeah, I guess we didn't even talk about that. We should, like, there's nothing really to say. We're, we're wrapping up here, but, like, the only the second sequel and all of the, the Disney canon and, and the the first computer animated sequel and the, the first done by the original team because, you know, the, the original Rescuers team didn't do Rescuers Down Under. Rescuers Down Under is such an anomaly. Yeah, it's such a weird movie. This, this, one, this one really feels like we're moving into another era where we're going to start seeing a lot more sequels. I would, yeah. I would guess that Ralph Breaks the Internet and Frozen 2 are not the only sequels that we're going to see. No, I think that's that's probably true. It's it's easier than developing a new property. Yeah. 
and they've decided instead of doing them direct to video that they'll or direct to streaming or whatever it would be these days that they'll they'll actually make them part of the the canon oh that's how you josh i would rather them do a sequel than a live action remake yeah i i agree because then at least they're pushing the story forward in some new direction <laughs> even if it undoes the undoes the first one <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i guess yeah Anyway. Yeah, it's not quite as lazy as uh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> One of the nice things about not talking about the live action movies is we don't have to weigh in on the completely ginned up Little Mermaid controversy. Right. Yeah. You know, Michael, I was thinking once we get done with these, though, we should uh... <laughs> <laughs> just watch all the live action ones. No, please no. Okay. Um, anyway, we, we kind of went off the rails here at the end. Isn't it great? There's no track. We can go wherever we want. That's oh. true, yeah. No, nobody to tell me what to do. Yeah, that's right. We can get ourselves into all kinds of trouble. Okay. Um, our press liaison is a Kristen Philippic. If you're on the internet, you can find us at uh, beforetheywere.live. Come knock uh, on our door. Sort of. It, I'm I'm gonna go put a. Uh, it's a ban- an abandoned website, isn't it? It is. It is abandoned. It's, it's What's abandoned. the last movie on that website, Josh? Uh, I think it's Aladdin. I think. Oh, I was thinking it was still 101 Dalmatians. No, 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 no. I've updated it. I think Aladdin is the last one. So only two years ago. Yeah, but I I want to go find one of those GeoCities gifts of uh you know con- this website under construction and go put it right at the top. <laughs> Just have a link to the hamster dance. <laughs> which has its disney connection right because it's whistle stop <laughs> i actually they add a um in this movie they they do have the building under construction and they're like it's got like the big like giant under construction sign I, I i appreciated that um i don't know if the hamster dance was somewhere in this movie or not um Anyway, you can reach out to us at before they were live at gmail.com. And we also want to encourage you to set your podcast player styles to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, where you'll find an abundance of new and old shows to keep you going. Michael, I know there are a great number of podcasts out there you could be spending your time on. So thank you for spending the time with us. So for Michael Farmer, I'm Joshua Altman Schiffer. Go on, get out of here. The world's waiting for you, kid.